0: Welcome to our podcast, Regulation Matters, A Clear Conversation. I'm your host, Lyne Dempsey. For those of you who do not know me, I'm the Senior Investigator with the North Carolina Dental Board, and I'm the current Chair of the National Certified Investigator Training Committee with CLEAR. As many of you may know, the Council on Licensure Enforcement and Regulation, CLEAR, is an association of individuals, agencies, and organizations that comprise the international community of professional and occupational regulation. Our new podcast is a chance for you to hear about the latest and greatest in our community. Today, we welcome the investigators from Colorado Division of Professions and Occupations to discuss discuss the investigation that was nominated and received the clear investigative excellence award in 2017. I'm joined by Kevin Huff, Don Gibson, OnePed Zaborik, and Joseph Berry. Welcome.
1: Thank you. This is Kevin Huff. Um, I'm the Director of the Investigations for uh, Division of Professions and Occupations.
2: And I'm one Penzaburg. I'm an investigator with Divisions of Professions and Occupations. And I'm Don Gibson. I'm an investigator with Division
3: of Professions and Occupations.
0: And I'm Joseph Bird. I'm also an investigator with Division of Occupations and Professions. Great. Well, thanks for joining me today. So a little background. Uh, CLEAR's award program uh, honors exceptional contributions to the regulatory community. Uh, The Investigative Excellence Award recognizes an investigative team who has demonstrated exceptional performance in a particular case with performance beyond what is expected or or required, resulting in a direct and significant impact to the protection of the public or consumer interests. Your nomination in 2017 was a case involving the unlicensed practice of medicine. This is a very interesting case, and as I understand it, the Colorado Medical Board was notified of an individual that was actively engaged in the unlicensed practice of medicine. So was this a written complaint or was it anonymous? I guess how did it come to you guys and and what was the nature of the complaint?
1: Um, The complainant uh, came in, the the actual victim was not the complainant that came in. The complainant that came in was a social worker who had been working with the victim, um, came in to uh, file the complaint and also convince the victim to come in at the same time. Um, so we had a written complaint, but then we all were also able to um, see, we as in the division were able to see the victim um, in person as well, and we were able to see the um, severity of the injuries that were caused by this uh, respondent The un, uh, when they were practicing um, medicine unlicensed. Um, after seeing the severity of the injuries, uh, the Colorado Medical Board staff um, decided to get law enforcement in, involved. And specifically, they contacted the district attorney's office. And from there, then immediate action was taken and everything was kicked into gear to where um, investigator uh, Gibson um, assisted with some interviews with the uh, victim who was non-speaking of English, and uh, with a translator, they did that. Um, during that, the victim uh, explained how she met with the respondent in July of uh, 2016 for a tummy tuck. Um, he introduced himself as a doctor, um, but, uh, you know, he wasn't wearing the, the normal doctor clothing or anything like that. Um, so was it
0: at a, like, a what, what kind of office was it?
1: Where she met him, the physician was actually at a, a medical facility that he, I believe, owned and operated himself. Okay. So uh, in early August, she went for a, a medical procedure. And um, at that time, she was uh, – um, her, her tummy tucked. She was given a pill to take, and then various injections were put into her stomach to numb the area for the tummy tuck. Um, during the operation she was um, in lots of pain so they gave her more injections. she was never put completely under, um, always awake um, at several times she was uh, told to quit squirming or you know squirming and moving around that her pain was psychological um, given more pills to take and um, she was also advised too that if she didn't stop moving around she'd be restrained during her operation. Um, eventually, the operation was completed. She was given more pills, and also told to take Tylenol for any pain. And then, kind of on the way, she went. So, how did I guess the, the the social worker? I guess
0: how did she get involved or he get involved? And kind of, and then how did it roll into your office from in, in the form of a complaint? You know, we experiencing some type of of, um, infection or something like that that kind of resulted in in her needing some additional medical care?
1: Uh, No infection. I believe uh, just ultimately it was, um, you know, she realized that the surgery was not the true work of a plastic surgeon and (laughs) um, the, the, the botched surgery, if you will. Um, Her scars
3: healed really bad too, and I think she was concerned about the way that they were healed. But they were healed in a square versus straight across, so they weren't they weren't tucked in correctly. So she noticed that it was incorrect. And,
1: mm-hmm. and I'm unsure exactly how the social worker um, herself actually got involved in that particular part of the of the the case, if you will.
0: Now, you, you mentioned that there was some issues with. Uh, language barriers. Um, is that something that you guys regularly deal with? H- how did you handle it in this particular instance?
3: Um, in this instance, we actually had an interpreter that worked for the Attorney General's office and she was with us for all the interviews.
0: Excellent. So when you guys went in, so did you guys actually go into the facility where the respondent was practicing medicine? What happened there, and what kind of things did you run into? Yeah, well, when when we when it came up to
3: that, I mean, we all got together in advance, though, and we talked about, because we were working with the DA's office, um, so we all got together, we talked about what everybody's role was going to be, because there was two DA investigators, there was three investigators from DORA, and as well, we had uh, uniformed police officers to assist us, so the DA decided that it would be best if they went in first to secure the perimeter and um, see if they had any patients in there. With the uh, uniformed officers and we waited until they cleared and secured the premises. There was That's when there was when he was performing surgery.
0: Oh, wow. So he was in the midst of, of doing another tummy tuck or some other procedure? Correct, he was.
3: So they were able to take him into custody. And they were able to call an ambulance to come and assist and take her to a hospital where she could receive the care that she really needed.
0: Where she could see a real doctor. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess what other challenges did you guys experience?
3: Um, As far as like the challenges, I mean, we're regulatory and they're criminal, so we had to um, keep in mind that we are regulatory when we were doing this, but we were there to assist them. Uh, We had great communication with them, which was really nice to work with. Um, As far as like when we planned this all out, they had to do, of course, their search warrant, and we had to do our subpoena for records. They incorporated our our subpoena into their search warrant so that we were all working off of one document, which was really useful. And we kind of divided up the roles when we went in, where one pen was taking photographs and Jeb was gathering documentation, and I was assisting whoever needed assistance, so everybody kind of had a role. As well, the DA had their own photographer, so that person was also going around taking pictures, so we had kind of two people taking pictures and two people gathering from both agencies, so we could kind
2: of overlap and share information. And this is um, Another challenge that we had was there were a number of individuals in the office as well, not just the patient, but also in the waiting area. There were some prospective patients, and then um, a little while later the family of the patient that was actually being operated on came back to pick her up. So we kind of had the challenge of trying to um, get those people interviewed really quickly, get their contact information, be able to follow up um, as they were witnesses to the case. So trying to just identify those individuals and maybe cajole them a little to speak with us um, amidst kind of the chaos of the situation was another challenge. But we were able to kind of split that work up and each talk to anybody that was um, a potential witness.
0: Now, the the respondent, um, I guess he was a, a, a medical doctor maybe in Mexico or a foreign country. Is that correct? That's correct. He was. Was he actually licensed with you guys in some capacity as well uh, under your regulatory body? He was. He was a
3: a surgical technician.
0: So So that would be someone that had to work under, I guess, the the direction of a a medical doctor? Correct.
3: He worked for a temp agency, and what they did was they sent him out to various hospitals and worked with um, different doctors. He kind of had a group of doctors that he performed surgery with as a Surgical
0: technician. So, what kind of action did you guys end up taking on him? Obviously, there was some criminal element, which the, the DA handled. But did you guys take any action on his
1: license? Uh, yes, yes, we did. Um, the board, I believe, at the time uh, uh,
3: suspended
1: suspended his uh, license initially, which was the the fastest uh, way to. Uh, remove him from uh, being able to practice. And then I believe they took uh, further action onto his license as well. Um, I will research that a little bit and get back with you on that.
0: So what do you believe were the key factor or factors um, in the success of this investigation? Because obviously um, you, you guys were able to protect the public in this matter. Um, and obviously it, it garnered the the award from from CLEAR. Um, I guess what what factor or factors I think played the, the most in the success? Right. Uh this is this is Joseph. Um, I really think the speed at which the Denver DA's office was willing to take action with us we had you know, spoken to other agencies as well, but the Denver DA's office was really on top of it and they were willing to go out there immediately with a search warrant to um, basically shut this guy down. And their willingness to work with us, their willingness to incorporate what documents we needed into the search warrant uh, that had the evidence that, you know, that that they were looking for for their type of case um, was what allowed us to shut this guy down so quickly and lead, ultimately, to him being convicted and put in prison.
2: This is one pen again, and I think I would just second that that—that the willingness to collaborate on the part of the DA's office and really truly act as partners with us helped us really bring this case to a fast conclusion.
0: So if if you could do one thing differently regarding this investigation or maybe a similar investigation, uh, what would you do differently? We
3: actually talked about this. and. When we were out there, we had noticed that there were a lot of narcotics that were probably not from the United States, Um, and it got us to thinking, I mean, we're regulatory, so that was more criminal, but to contact other agencies, always when we go out somewhere to see if there's other agencies that can participate or want to participate so that we're all doing it at the same level. So we probably would have maybe called the DEA in reference to that and had them be part of this as well.
1: I think, too, would be great. I, th- I think part of the deal if with any investigation, whether it's regulatory or criminal, is sometimes uh, investigators can kind of get tunnel vision and only want to go down one path. And so um, trying to think outside of the box um, before you get into any investigation is probably the, the best thing to do, whether it's with communication and or, um, as Don was saying, Gosh, you know, hindsight's always twenty-twenty. of maybe we should have brought in like the DEA or suggested to the DA's office that, hey, should we bring in the DEA? Um, you know, it's never, it's never um, a wrong thing to maybe ask them if they want to participate. They don't have to, but as long as we've made that effort, um, then we've we've gone through our due diligence. But uh, it's always good too to speak with others about an investigation so you don't get that tunnel vision as well.
0: So um, any
1: anything that you want to follow
0: up with um, as far as what we talked about today, anything that you think our listeners might like to
1: hear from you guys? Um, I, I told you I'd get back to you on, on his license. What we did after the suspension, we, we revoked his license as a surgical um, assistant. So. Uh, that's the ultimate that we can do, and um, we did that. You guys have anything?
3: No, I, I think I think this went really well because of the open line of communication that we had with the other agency, and the fact that we had collaboration and we were all on the same ground and level that this went so well. I know there's a lot of investigations sometimes that we go out on, and there's other agencies, and it gets slowed down sometimes when people are not sharing information, and we're not able to obtain the evidence or they're not able to obtain the evidence from us because there's not the sharing that's going on so I think that's what was really successful in this investigation
0: that's great uh, yeah I know in my experience uh, working for the dental board you know, we have similar uh, scenarios where um, somebody is practicing dentistry without a license um, but we're not fortunate enough to have them being a, a licensee of some sort um, like the surgical tech was um, so that's not anything, it's not one of our licensees. We can't really do anything, can't take their license. They don't have a license. But we've had to work with a local law enforcement or DEA um, and in and, and pursuing that. And it, it certainly poses a lot of challenges, um, but I'm really impressed with what, what you guys have been able to do. Great. Well, thank you, Kevin, Don, OnePen, and Joseph for your time and being a part of this podcast. It is wonderful to be able to honor and recognize the great work being done by our CLEAR members and to have the opportunity to share and learn from each other. CLEAR is always pleased to be able to recognize our colleagues for achieving regulatory excellence. We're looking forward to our 2018 CLEAR awards presentation at this year's Annual Education Conference in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in just a couple of weeks. Six awards will be presented at the awards luncheon, and our recipients will be highlighted on CLEAR's website as well. And thank you, our listeners, for listening. We'll be back with another episode of Regulation Matters, a CLEAR conversation very soon. Please subscribe to our podcast and feel free to visit our website at www.CLEARHQ.org for additional resources. Finally, a special thanks to CLEAR staff, specifically Stephanie Thompson, content coordinator and editor for our program. I'm Lion Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking to you again soon.